0: Hello, I'm Eddie French, and you might recognise me from such icy news noises as... Daddy! And who could forget... Well, the good news is is that I now have my own podcast. It's called Pick Scraped, and it is a fortnightly sketch show uh, made entirely by me. So if that sounds like the sort of thing you'd like, go to wherever you get your podcasts and listen to it. Thank you. Pick Scraped.
1: You're listening to IC News, the only network bringing you the stories from across the multiverse.
2: As the Petrol Retailers Association says supplies are critical in the southeast of England, Tesla drivers all over the country somehow become even more insufferably fucking smug. Boris Johnson finally meets with the bereaved families of Covid victims and pledges to appoint the Chair of Spring's Inquiry by Christmas. If he does, it will be about the only thing that does get successfully delivered over this year's festive period. Labour leader Keir Starmer says winning the next general election is more important to him than party unity, which should do wonders for his perceived integrity, seeing as he won the leadership election by promising to deliver party unity. And finally, Shakira is attacked by wild boars in a Milan park, which sounds like an extraordinary claim, but she did say it with her hips, and those don't lie. Hello and welcome. I'm Sam Gore, and you're listening to another episode of IC News, We're back with a full tank, topped up and ready to rev the engines of the final third of Season 5. And if you don't like it, we'll fight you on a petrol station forecourt. This week, in news that is distinctly impossible to make even vaguely amusing, the murderer of Sarah Everard was sentenced to a whole life tariff and will never be released from prison. Wayne Cousins was a serving police officer at the time of the murder, and he kidnapped Miss Everard under the false pretense of an arrest. It sparked a huge crisis of confidence in British policing, and a response from the London Met so completely tone-deaf that Peter Andre could sing a whole new world with it. As women everywhere yet again wonder why the fuck they are being asked to change their behaviour in the face of male violence, you may think that now might be a good time to announce widespread police reform tackling institutional misogyny, paired with a holistic approach seeking to end the abuse of women and improve conviction rates for sexual violence you know, the sort of thing that might address the appalling rates of domestic violence among serving police officers, or prevent a few less than the 52% of officers accused of sexual misconduct from keeping their jobs. The Metropolitan Police, however, opted instead to add run screaming for a bus instead of letting yourself get arrested by an actual police officer with a warrant card to the list of things innocent victims are somehow responsible for. That's where we are in 2021, Britain. Our capital's own police force are now suggesting that women may be safer on a London night bus than in the company of one of their officers. We now move on to the ongoing HGV driver shortage and petrol crisis. It's been a week of ugly scenes and general anxiety all over Britain here on Earth Prime, as the government singularly failed to reassure the public that our fuel supplies were perfectly adequate and all of this panic-buying nonsense was just foolish hysteria. Quite why the public's knickers have been so thoroughly twisted, it's hard to appreciate, given the consistency of the government narrative. First, we were reassured that everything would be okay if people just filled up as normal at all the petrol stations that had no petrol. Then we were told there was no need to relax the visa rules for European drivers because there was no real shortage. And then the visa rules for European drivers were relaxed because the shortage is so massive. We were then reassured that the army would not need to be drafted in to deal with the crisis. And then, Quasi Kwa told us that we should be prepared to see soldiers driving tankers on the road. And then, finally, we've been told for days that the situation is beginning to improve. Only for the Petrol Retailers Association to turn round and tell us that the situation had not really improved that much at all. Why anybody would ever get nervous and think that our supply chain might be a little bit wobbly in the face of all that clarity, I have absolutely no idea. Joining us live from the heart of the fuel crisis, it's our resident conspiracy theorist, Danny Sutcliffe.
3: Hello! I'm here on a petrol station forecourt in the heart of Manchester, and it's fair to say it's absolute fucking chaos. There's a tailback stretching a mile out onto the dual carriageway, and people are really starting to get cross. The situation's tense here, Sam, and ugly scenes like this one have played out all over the country this week... Turns out that Britain is only one fuel shortage and a leather gimp suit away from going full Fury Road at any given moment.
2: I'm quite surprised to hear that, Danny. We've heard assurances from the government all week that things are starting to calm down.
3: Not here, mate. Here, it's absolute fucking bedlam. And I'm telling you now, this is where it all begins. The social order's breaking down once and for all. Vaccine mandates, population control, social engineering, and now this. A big petrol con job perpetuated on the masses by the mainstream media. This mass panic is an engineered psyop designed to frighten us into buying up their fuel stock at an inflated price before it goes off. This is the man slipping his dick into our pockets yet again.
2: Wow, that metaphor pivoted quickly, but... Danny, come off it. I know exactly the meme you're referencing and there's literally zero evidence of that. Isn't government mismanagement and the fragility of our supply chain worrying enough without adding yet more conspiracy nonsense into the mix?
3: You can bury your head in the sand as far as you like, pal. It still won't get you deep enough to hit that precious oil. Which is why me and the free thinkers like me are getting ahead of this panic buying shit by prepping for the coming war with a new world order.
2: I see. And what does prepping for the coming war with the New World Order entail, exactly?
3: Provisions, obviously. When the government comes to take my guns and my freedom, I need to be prepared.
2: Hang on, you have guns?
3: Uh, No, uh, I'm speaking metaphorically, obviously. Food, fuel, basic hygiene supplies, that's what you need for your standard bug out shelter. And I'm determined to be prepared.
2: And you think that means you're getting ahead of the panic-buying shit, do you?
3: Yeah, obviously!
2: Danny, unnecessarily stockpiling food, fuel and toilet roll in a perceived crisis is the literal definition of panic-buying.
3: With the greatest of respect, Sam, that's absolute bollocks and you can go and fuck yourself. (coughs) Now this angry bastard behind me, he's panic-buying, pure and simple. And the furious lady behind him... She's just afraid and topping up when she doesn't even need to. You can guarantee she's got half a tank in right now and only needs to commute a few miles this week. Whereas me, I'm filling up an entire Vauxhall Safira, 12 jerry cans, 45 Coke bottles and a children's paddling pool on the roof rack because I need it. Not for work, not for leisure, but for the revolution! and you'll all come crawling to me when you need petrol for Molotovs.
2: Kind of sounds to me like you're just stocking up like every other knobhead Danny.
3: Well boo fucking piss to you and all who sail in you, Sam. (coughs) And fuck you too, you miserable prick. I was gonna sell these coke bottles for 20 quid a pop, but for you, pal, now they're 30. Eat my hyperinflated dick.
2: And there we have the truth of it. You're not filling up out of panic or because you're planning a revolution at all, are you? Like always, you're just out to make an easy few quid.
3: Well, could you blame me? Danny's jet-washing emporium has been hit hard by lockdown, Sam. And now furlough's ended, I don't even have that sweet government money coming in for my imaginary friends on the payroll. When we are a small British business, no less. The beating heart of this economy.
2: It's a drugs front, Danny. It's always been a drugs front. Literally nobody listening is under any illusions that it has ever, or will ever be, anything other than a drugs front. Fucking hell, mate, what's your problem this week? You're up my ass even more than usual. I haven't been able to buy petrol all week, Danny. 2020 was bad enough without heading into the final chunk of 2021, needing to gob off a Texaco cashier for three litres of unleaded. And it's all because of morons like you. Hmm, is it though? What the fuck's that supposed to mean? Is it all because of
3: morons like me? Or is it because of morons like you reporting this story like it's the end of days, frightening people who are already in tricky financial situations into thinking they won't be able to earn an income without petrol?
2: Oh, don't you dare try and Angela led me on this shit. Blaming the media is pure government spin when the reality is that this crisis is the result of years of mismanagement and a complete failure by the government to plan ahead. So which is it then? Which what is it?
3: Is it the fault of years of mismanagement and a failure to plan ahead, or is it my fault for panic buying? You're being very inconsistent here, Sam. Oh,
2: fuck you, Danny.
3: Fuck you, Sam! No, fuck you! Fuck you! And fuck you too! Jesus, this forecourt is stressful. Who'd have thought it? I'm having a cigarette. Danny, no, that really isn't a good idea. Oh, will you stop? I'm sick and tired of you telling me what to do. I am a free man. Not a number. And if I need a fucking fag, I'm having one. I'll not have my life policed by your neoliberal overreach. <laughs> <laughs>
2: yeah.
3: Alright, fair enough. That might have been a bad choice. And if there wasn't a fuel shortage in Manchester before... There's definitely one now.
2: Jesus Christ, Danny.
3: All right, all right. I (coughs) this may have been (coughs) slightly irresponsible of me. (laughs) It's all yours, pal. I'm pretty sure I'm done. (laughs) I'm Danny Sutcliffe, and I'm going for a lie down, reporting for IC News.
2: It's been a big week for the Labour Party, as their annual conference took place in Brighton and found itself plagued with more controversies than your average 90s celebrity's Twitter feed. Keir Starmer's keynote speech was supposed to be his big moment to finally stand in front of a crowd and communicate his message to the British people. And, to be fair to the man, my father was a toolmaker and in a way so was Boris Johnson's, is, by any standard, a solid burn. Unfortunately, coverage of the Labour conference has been dominated by the fights he chose to pick with the party's left, including a shock resignation from the Shadow Cabinet and some serious pearl-clutching from Conservatives over Angela Rayner's choice of language. But at the end of it all, has the Labour leader managed to get his message across? Passionate centrist Joanne Gordon has been in Brighton all week to find out.
1: Thanks, Sam. Conference is the most exciting set of dates in any Labour Party member's calendar, and I've been here in Brighton all week, soaking it all up like the eager little sponge I am. There's a real frisson of excitement running through the crowds here, and it's only Tuesday night. I'm giddy at the thought of all the possibilities, and even that weird bitter taste of the air here in the Brighton Centre isn't going to ruin my day. Oh, and... By the way, listeners, I know you're going to be getting this package a little late, and from where you're sitting, I'm talking to you from the past. But I know what a tolerant and accepting lot the Labour Party membership generally are, and I know you'll understand completely that my medical condition means that I need to plan ahead like this. As a passionate centrist, I just know I won't be fit to record after Keir Starmer's big speech tomorrow night. My heart's racing even now just thinking about it. All that detail, all those plans, all that adenoidal droning. Oh, I just know I'm going to be wiped out from all the excitement for days, just like the rest of Britain, I'm sure. I'd say you can mark my words he's going to knock it out of the park, but heck, I bet you already know. Gosh, I would love to be you right now, still soaking it all in. I'm willing to bet all the headlines for days have been about how much Starmer smashed it. I bet all the water cooler talk at work has been about Labour policy and how prime ministerial he looked and all of his exciting plans for the future. I have no doubt, no doubt at all that these pesky headlines from the start of the week have been washed away like left-wing tears in the rain. I bet nobody's talking about Andy McDonald's resignation anymore. (laughs) Or about Angela Rayner calling Tories scum. Or the bitter infighting over Starmer's push to limit the power of members when electing the leader. Or the ongoing row about Labour's position on trans rights. Oh god, I think I'm going to be sick. Wait. Yep. No, I'm fine. God, what is that? sorry everyone i'm just walking the halls here at the brighton center and that weird bitter taste i mentioned earlier is getting much much worse now all i did was turn left slightly and it's like the whole mood's changed i'm getting side eye and disdainful tutting and oh dear the whole Broadchurch church thing just doesn't feel like it's ringing very true in this part of the building they all look so aggrieved, like like they think a £15 minimum wage and a decent sick pay is the least they should be able to expect from a Labour leader. Cheer up, everyone. Not once in those ten pledges he made to you did he pledge to actually stick to all ten of them. Nope. Not for me this bit. I'll just head back out here to the nice, warm middle ground of the building and... Ah, that's better. Back to the optimism, which I suspect is what you're all feeling now that you've actually heard from Starmer. The country as a whole isn't interested in the petty, bitter factionalism in the labour machine. It's interested in fixing the fuel crisis and the rising cost of living and proper, but not £15, wages and workers' rights, but not decent sick pay. Clear as crystal, well-defined policy positions, free of fence-sitting and contradiction, delivered by a man who finally looks like he has a proper vision for the country. God, I just can't wait for tomorrow. And it's that hopeful, forward-looking sense of anticipation that I expect all of you are now enjoying. Because, as I'm sure you all now know, Keir Starmer has well and truly arrived. And now, the real work begins. I'm Joanne Gordon, reporting for IC News.
2: What the fuck? Sorry, everyone. Not only was that gushing partisan nonsense, but I also absolutely don't think it's anywhere near acceptable for a reporter to call in packages like that ahead of time. We are a current affairs news programme, and the whole country has now heard properly from Keir Starmer. We know what the reaction has been, and damn it, I expect our correspondents to report on that reaction, not anticipate it from the past. This won't do at all. In fact, I'm calling Joanne right now. Oh, you better pick up.
1: You've reached the voicemail inbox of once passionate centrist Joanne Gordon. If you have a message, please feel free to try and communicate us after the beep, where I'll probably get drowned out by the noise of miserable, intonese signs squabbling. Maybe I'll listen, maybe I won't. Either way, I'll get back to you after another full generation of miserable Tory rule. Beep. Oh, fucking Jeremy Corbyn.
2: Oh, fair enough. I guess that says it all. For our final package, we're casting our watchful eyes back to last week and the Prime Minister's first official one-on-one meeting with President Biden. Boris Johnson is a man who loves operating in secret, particularly when any of his wives are looking, but IC News has had a man on the inside for some time now. We now bring you a global exclusive, recorded undercover at the White House.
0: Prime Minister, the President will be joining us shortly, so if you wouldn't mind, I think it would be rather beneficial to go through the roadmap for these talks one last time. Oh, Piffle,
4: you civil servants worry too much. I'm a serious statesman, you know. I've been meeting world leaders for years. Presidents love me. I'm charming.
0: Yes, Prime Minister... But I think it would benefit us to really stay focused on the goal here. This is an excellent early opportunity to build an international alliance for your climate change agenda.
4: Yes, yes. Get the trade deal. Make everything Brexit a bit less embarrassing. Don't come across too desperate, blah, blah, blah.
0: I've heard all this from Carrie, you know. Trade deal. Prime Minister, the agenda here is climate change, remember? You're pretending to care about that now, and it's actually working rather well for you. Am I? It's hard to keep track sometimes. I'm sure I
4: spent years slagging off wind farms in the telegraph, but fair enough, if you say so.
2: Ladies and gentlemen, please be standing and let me introduce the 46th President of the United States, Joseph Robinette Biden.
4: Hello, everybody. Good to see you all. I'm Joe Biden, and I'm harmless and neighborly. Unless you're our neighbor in Kabul, that is. (laughs) Just a little boomer humor for you there. Not because I'm a boomer, I'm too old for that shit. I mean boomer, as in we literally blew that family up and then lied about it. (laughs) Whoops, my bad. Joe, old Bean, so good to see you again. Jesus Christ, someone get a mask on this giant baby. I'm an old man, goddammit. I don't want it coughing all over me.
0: Mr. President, sir, it's an honour. This is Prime Minister Boris Johnson. Uh, The two of you met at the G7 summit not so long ago.
4: Hello again, sir. All right, I get you. Hi, Boris. But Come on, man. Can't you wear a mask to protect the elderly? (laughs) Good one. (laughs) No, it's highly unlikely I'll suddenly start doing that now. It's a bit late. Fair enough. Guess I'll just have to rely on my active young man's immune system. (laughs) Just a little Delaware humor for you Brits there. I see. Delaware's famous for its humor, is it? Delaware's not famous for anything, numbnuts. Let's just get to the point, shall we? We're here to cement our ancient alliance. And I've got to tell you, Boris, I've got some serious concerns about Northern Ireland. Golly, so have I. If you have any ideas on how to fix it, I'm all ears. Because I could tell you, I haven't got a bloody clue.
0: Oh, Mr President, uh, what we're really here to talk about is climate change, the greatest challenge of our times. One that we can only face together as allies, with Britain and America leading the world as equals.
4: That was an embarrassing thing you just said, son, but I will allow it because I admire your hubris. And you're right. This is a serious moment in the history of our planet, and America stands committed to tackling the challenge. Lovely. I can't tell you how happy I am to hear it. Can we have a trade deal, then, please? You can have the NHS, if you like. Prime Minister! Gentlemen, please... We're not here to talk about trade deals. Our focus must be on the greatest threat we face in the future, which in my case is a small fall onto a hardwood floor. Well, if you want a carpet putting in, I know a decorator or two who are incredibly expensive. Ah, oh, come on, man, that was a joke. I'm obviously talking about climate change. That has to be our focus. Oh, ah, yes, I see. Excellent, excellent joke, Mr. President. Well, I think, obviously, number one on the agenda, it really does have to be emissions. They have to come right down. So we're talking fewer petrol cars on the road. Do you have a plan for that? Oh, just you wait until next week, old chap. I'm bringing that target right forward. Well, that's good news, Boris. And what about air travel? I don't think I've got any by-elections coming up, so I think we're dandy on that front, too. Well, you know what? It's good to see you taking all of this so seriously. It's painfully clear that I think you're a giant dumbass, but I see no reason why we can't work together on this. Green issues are very important to my progressive allies in Congress, so in this, at least, you have yourself an ally. America will stand right in front of Britain in the fight against climate change. Um, can we push for side-by-side, maybe? <laughs> no, son. But you're welcome to ask your newspapers to pretend if you like. Marvelous. Now, trade deals. And I really can't be clear enough here. The NHS is all yours if you want it. Prime Minister, please. (laughs) You're a funny guy, Boris. Come, let's talk over a glass of children's fear juice. We've got some exciting plans for tackling China that you're welcome to pretend to have a say in if you like. That sounds like a bloody good idea if you ask me.
0: Sorry, did you just say children's fear juice?
2: That bombshell piece of investigative journalism brings us to the end of our broadcast. We'll be back at 8am next Sunday, provided any of us actually manage to find enough petrol to get to work. Until then, we leave you now with the headlines you may have missed. Former French President Nicolas Sarkozy is sentenced to jail for campaign finance crimes, as it turns out that there are some countries where you can actually get in trouble for that shit. I'm looking at you, vote leave. US General Mark Miller warns that Al-Qaeda in Afghanistan could threaten the US within 12 months, so given the reliability of America's Afghan intelligence recently, we should probably expect another 9-11 in the next five days or so. The singer R. Kelly is found guilty on all counts in his human trafficking and sexual abuse trial. It is expected that he will appeal the decision, or as it's otherwise known, attempt to remix his conviction. And finally, Amazon announces its first home robot. The $999 Astro will patrol your home, check on your pets, and comes with an extendable periscope camera that will almost certainly end up lodged in the assholes of rich, lonely perverts. You've been listening to IC News. Thank you and goodbye.
3: Hello again. It's me, Danny Sutcliffe. I'm here today with the right bargain for you. And no, it's not just the mystery me I've got in the back of my van. Although that is also primo stuff, so meet me behind our bins and flash your full beams if you're interested. If you haven't joined our Patreon yet, we've got a special offer for you. Sign up now as one of our early bird supporters and you can get access to all of our exclusive content for just £2 a month. If you want bonus podcast sketches, compilation episodes and ICU stories, this is the cheapest you're ever going to get them. You've got to be quick, though. This deal is limited to the first 500 patrons and they'll get snapped up quick. It's the best way to show your support for the show and you'll be helping us to grow moving forwards. As always, thank you for all of your support and we hope you enjoy the show. And no, it's not badger me. And if Brian May tries to tell you otherwise, he's a fucking liar.